Before we start, we have maybe a minute or two. Uh, any questions from our previous classes so far? Any question? None here. Okay. Thank you. Well, good evening, everyone, again. So, uh, do you hear me? I guess you do. You hear me well? Yes, yes, okay. Good. So, let's start. And uh, uh, we've been dealing uh, with, the, uh, with the self, which can be an, an idol. It's probably the, the sweetest idol of all is our ego or our self and we said that uh, actually last time when we talked about Noah prayer you know we just drew some thought about uh, the Noahide prayer book there is much much more to talk about the subject uh, I just gave a, a very small illustration but uh, this is an enormous subject and uh, to talk about the Noahide prayer book. I just, uh, my, my point at uh, last class was basically to show that there were two, two levels of Noah. Noah before the flood, Noah after the flood. And when Noah prayed after, the, my main trust is to introduce the prayer of Noah to show you the uh, the maturity of Noah. Noah was after the flood was not the same person as before the flood, because he protested. Before that, he was a he was a somebody who compliant, who did everything Hashem told him, uh, and he actually was very very passive. As a, a suddenly everything changed after the flood. Some eternal, he actually mature. His tribulation and, and the trial that he had actually made him a different Noah. And he approached it with a burnt offering, which means he, bur he burned, there were a few things burning on his heart, and he had to express it. And and those burning issues on the heart are not praise the Lord and hallelujah and singing and, and, and crying with, with happiness. This is like banging on a table, you know, he wants to see change. He's worried, he's protesting, he's saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna procreate, as you're telling me, I'm gonna deny it, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna procreate until I see, you promise, you promise me this and this and that. I don't want any more bloodshed, I don't want the flood to come again. Now, this type of prayer that we dwelt so much last time and two weeks ago, or the last two classes, this type of prayer is actually unknown uh, uh, to, 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 to any other religion or, or the, the, those who try to imitate Judaism, they never got it. 
uh, uh, with all my talk about my classes with I had here in Lafayette and others, they always were shocked to hear it. How can, how can you say something like that? You know that Noah was banging on the table. Uh, who is he? You know who is he to say anything to Hashem? And that's kind of a blasphemy. Uh, now this type of prayer is 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 a Jewish prayer. Uh, this is a type of prayer that Moses prayed. Uh, he, he Hashem told him, "I'm going to eliminate all the all the children of Israel. I'll elect you as a as a as a uh, replacement." And he says, "No, I don't want it." So he dared to protest. Uh, and so that that standing on your leg and and protesting, expressing your idea, is expressed by the Hebrew word filah. in Hebrew is not what people think prayer. It's not the English prayer. It's not the, the, any other prayer. It's not the mosque prayer, and it's not the church prayer, and it's not any other prayer. Uh, the prayer uh, that the the Jewish prayer and, and Noah actually was as entitled to that because Noah was actually the instigating it. So that kind of prayer, uh, the word litpalel is to fight, to struggle. Uh, it comes from Pinchas. Pinchas, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember the story there in, in Numbers. Pinchas, the grandson of a uh, of Aaron comes out and fight and fight with Hashem. So he does, he takes things to his own hand and he's protesting, he's fighting. Uh, and, and the Psalms say that, that when the Psalm, when, when David in, in Psalm song uh, 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 commemorate this event, he says that Pinchas stood up and it palel, why palel. And that's, that's the word fila comes from here. So in our prayer, yes, we have a room in our daily prayer for singing hallelujah. We, we, we start with, with the psalm and we sing, we sway, we clap hands. There was music in the temple, everything was, uh, you know, we have this emotional component of prayer too. Uh, expressing thanksgiving as, I, as we elaborated last time. But when it comes to the to the prayer, the prayer, when we stand up on our leg, and we pray shmonesle, the, the eight famous eighteen prayer, and there we are not praising the Lord anymore. We express actually a hidden protest uh, uh, that uh, we want we want to change in the heavenly court, and we want to go back to to Jerusalem, and we want the temple to be rebuilt. And in fact, this prayer was inst was written or instituted uh, against the the burnt offering that the Jewish people used to bring every day, two burnt offering, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and that constituted the the the, 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 the prayer uh, and and the the, the 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 burnt offering which we we burn our thoughts toward the shame. And we ask, uh, and uh, we ask him to change, uh, to change the, his hard decree to mercy. Uh, that's what Noah did. And that's what Abraham did later on. So all this idea of changing the heavenly court uh, by prayer 
we learn actually from Noah because Noah did it the first time. So that's what my emphasis was last time uh, that when, when Noah are going to build uh, or, re, or rewrite or write uh, to the, the the prayer book. Uh, they, they, uh, you know, the, the liturgy there that can evolve around all these different, different themes. Uh, there is a Noah who, who is carried by the, by the two wings over the water. He's like a child. This is before the flood. Remember the, the blue and the green, uh, the blue and the red, and Noah in between, and are carried over the water. Uh, and that's a different Noah. That's a Noah. That's a child. We all love to be that kind of a child. We all love to be carried away over the water, and to be carried by 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 the eagles above above earth. And we all like to the, to live the to 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 feel the love and the compassion of our father and mother in heaven, so to speak. We, it's enough to say father in heaven. I don't need to say mother, but. Uh, the, uh, I'm saying mother only because of the two cherubs, the two wings the, of the heavenly court will carry him as we, we saw that. So, but basically they are one. The Father in heaven is enough to say. Um, uh, but, so we all love that to be that kind of a Noah. But at the same time, uh, Noahite stand up on their leg. Uh, they stand up and they, they express the community desire, what 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 Noahide as a community, as a congregation of nations, want to achieve. They want to come to the Sabbath. They want to see everything the Noah the Noah wanted. We want. We still want the ending of bloodshed. We still want assurance that we won't destroy the world. We still have the same the same tribulation and worry that Noah Noah had. That's why the rabbi emphasized that Noah is a prototype of all prayer. That his altar is a prototype of all altar. And so that's why we pray after Noah. And we don't, and because his, his prayer is, is, a, is still our prayer. Whether we are Jew, Christian, or Muslim, we all need that kind of peace and, and, and the change in our heart to be mature. And uh, this is what uh, we kind of uh, ended up last time, and I want to emphasize how, you know, in, in, in the heavenly court, the first time in the Torah, uh, the, the word I, me, uh, uh, I, self, m myself, appear in the Torah is in that, in that uh, event before the flood when the cherubs uh, come and, and tell him to go in to build to build the ark, and they will carry him. And he says, "And I will be I willingly I I will bring the flood on earth." So that I is a is a heavenly I, heavenly self, mature self. And Noah was praying to that mature as a uh, as as a. Uh, as a mature person to to the heavenly eye, and in fact that was the answer to Hashem to him. When Hashem when Hashem answered him, actually Hashem told him, "Well, Noah, this was the essence of Hashem's answer." As we saw it uh, when we read the verses, Hashem said, told him, uh, "The the evil of man is only uh, when he's at its youth." 
ensuring that uh, you are not young anymore. You don't have evilness in your heart anymore. You can control it so you are mature. And therefore, if you bang on a table like that, if you stand up on your leg and, and you are not a, a toddler anymore, and you kind of, uh, you are a child now, you are, we said the Bar Mitzvah, the, the whole Bar Mitzvah of 13, uh, Bar Mitzvah in Judaism comes from here, from, from Noah. So he says, if you are mature enough to, to take commandment on yourself, well, let's enter the Rainbow Covenant. Uh, you don't enter Rainbow Covenant with a child uh, who sing hallelujah and cry. You enter a child, you enter a covenant with a mature person who can control, who can do things, uh, control his own deed. So the whole, the whole notion of, of Rainbow Covenant is a mature is that immature. So there is optimism here. There is optimism that man can control uh, control his faith. The Gnostic idea that prevailed so much in, in the Roman Empire uh, at the time of uh, Augustus Caesar and his, uh, uh, and his time, all this Gnostic idea that the men are, are, are doomed and there is no no future and we need good God to come down and, and save us from the bad God. This is a Gnostic idea that has somehow permeated to, to, to Christianity. Uh, but uh, this, this uh, uh, Gnostic idea of pessimism that man cannot achieve things by itself is contradictory to, to Judaism, to the Noach movement, to the Noach that says, uh, Hashem tell him, yes. You have, you have the ability, you never despair. Uh, we know that uh, you tend to, to, to shed blood, you know that in, your, what, that, uh, in the past theologies caused uh, so much bloodshed, the, those who followed shed, uh, Enosh, those, those who followed uh, uh, the children of Elohim, Cain, each one of them in its own way, ended up with terrible bloodshed. So, yeah, uh, Hashem is telling him that you, uh, the evilness of Adam is, is only in his youth. But now you, Noah, are mature now. So the future is in your hand, and you continue to mature. And the rabbi said that actually, uh, uh, for instance, mankind mature already in terms of, of idol worshipping because they, uh, after, after they came back from Babylon uh, they took the desire of, of the worshipping of idols I mean wood and stone idols they took it and they threw it to the Dead Sea and in a barrel and, and, and it, it, it sank into the Dead Sea if you want to find it you can go uh, dipping in a Dead Sea in southern there uh, in Israel, uh, the Jordan River entered the Dead Sea. There, in a barrel, uh, there is a drive of, of idol worshiping sunk down into the into the sea, and it will never float again uh, because there was a change in mankind. When they came, when Ezra came for Babylon, they slaughtered the drive of idol worshipping. Since then there are no real idol worshipping in the world. So if people still worship idol and stone and wood, they do it only from tradition because they kept the tradition of the, of the parents. But no, 
they really don't believe in it in the way they did in the time of the uh, Judea king and the time of the Canaanite. Uh, this is all gone. So there was a maturity of mankind. And if there was a maturity of mankind with idol worship, it, there will be maturity of mankind with the other issues like uh, bloodshed, adultery. We all we will see a maturity of mankind along the other other uh, line too. So, uh, so again, Noah is a mature, mature person, and it's interesting that the Torah introduced the I, the self, as a mature uh, I, as a, as, a, as a heavenly court saying I, in connection or parallel to Noah, who is now mature. Uh, and that's a very striking how how the Torah very carefully uh, introduced the concept of Noah maturity at the same time that Hashem speaks about his eye, a, a, a heavenly eye, as a, as a, a parallel to to the human eye, and that's why the Noah prayer was accepted. That's why he he made a difference. He made a difference by entering the covenant. He's not a child anymore. Now, let's move on. And, and as we said, uh, the most attractive idol is our self. It is the most attractive because we, you know, that's not a secret. Everybody loves himself more than anything else. And it is the, the self is above our attribute, above everything. And our self comes from Him, from, from God's, uh, from the Creator self. And we want, it's something very important for us. Our self, that mature eye that Noah speaks from, from his heart, uh, uh, that eye tend to like to grow, we said. There are some character, characteristics of that eye. Uh, it tends to grow, it tends to, he likes to be exalted. He, he wants to be recognized, to have an impact on the surrounding. The eye wants to be king, and actually the eye wants to be worshipped. And uh, so that's eye is why, why, did he, why did he put that kind of eye in us when he created us? Because uh, without, uh, without that kind of uh, uh, aspiration, we will do nothing. If you control, if you try to, to subserve or to subdue or to overcome yourself as the other, as Buddha, for instance, want to do, or to, to, uh, uh, to say that he doesn't exist, then you aspire nothing. And uh, indeed, the society will never move. Uh, it will be stagnant. Once you introduce such philosophy that the eye doesn't exist, it's not important, that's the end of the progress. That's the dark ages. Uh, so, but we, Judaism, the Torah doesn't want you to be stagnant. The Torah wants the constructive, constructive eye. The eye should, should, should excel, should try to make an impact. At the same time, it is stand a trial. Everything that Elohim makes, he makes for a trial. We learn it so many times. 
So he put us, uh, he put us the, 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 our self, our self-conception, perception, our his aspiration to grow, to become an king. But at the same time, because we need it, but at the same time, we, he put it also to serve, so to speak, as an idolatry trap. Because if we worship it too much, if we are not careful, uh, then we commit idolatry. So that's the characteristic of how we are built. We are built with features that on one hand help us to, to, to fulfill our task to rule the world, as Hashem Elohim said, but at the same time also to fulfill, uh, to stand the trial of idolatry. And we, need, we, can only, we walk over narrow paths. And we need to be very careful not to fail the idolatry trap. Because if you fail the idolatry trap, that's the end of us. And as I said, it comes from Him. Now, as we mentioned, as we mentioned one time, one of the sessions, uh, how did He made our eye? Uh, when he did all come from the verse, let us make Adam in our form and our image. Uh, by the way, do you follow me? Do you follow me? I see everybody. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. If you have any question, you, you probably probably pause it so I can address it. Now, when he said so, now he's created Adam, and he tried, and he he he, he looked. He said, let, uh, let's be, let, let's, be, let's uh, analyze that verse again. He said, let us make Adam in our form and our image. Form and image means it gives you the, the illusion, or at least the picture, as if he was, stand, he was sitting in front of a huge mirror, as if there is a mirror. He is, of course, using language that we understand. There was no mirror there. But uh, the Torah wants us to understand, uh, to illustrate the process, in order to give us a message. So, so he, uh, he was sitting in front of the mirror, and he saw his form and the image in the mirror. And he made us according to, he said, let us make men, whoever he was talking to. He said, in plural, he said, let us make men in, in, into that form, according to that form and image. So we are very far, far removed from him. Uh, we are made like his form and image. So we are far, very far removed. But, but in essence, what the Torah wants to say, if he has an eye, as, as, as in the Ten Commandments, he says, I am Hashem El Yorlokim, who took you out of Egypt. And we said that there are all the all the titles are here. I am is the essence. The second line is the attribute, and kingship is what 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 he does in the, in, in to control the world. In that particular uh, case, he was he took 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 you took you out of Egypt. Kingship can be something else. You can bless Hashem, the King of the Universe. For, for bringing forth bread from, from the earth. That's also kingship. 
Any action that he does in the world is, is the capacity of a king. But above the king stands the essence and the attribute. So he looks at the mirror, mirror is depicted here as the M, and we are in reverse, opposite. Uh, so our deed are on the surface, our attribute is a little deeper, so to speak, and our eye is hidden in the innermost core of our being. Why is that illustration important? Because uh, if, I, if I'm down in there, if you look at the diagram, and if I'm sitting, my eyes down there, and if I look at him up, and I look at him through the mirror, anything that, uh, anything that interferes, anything that makes the mirror thick, or make a big image in my, of me in a mirror will interfere with my seeing him. Anything that intercepts between me and, and, and Hashem, anything that makes the mirror thicker, or the image in the mirror, or my image in the mirror thicker, then, sir, then I will not be able to see him. So if I have a huge, uh, if I worship my eye, myself, if I think about myself uh, more than I, I worship me, or if people worship me, then my ego, my eye is so big that when I look up at the mirror, all I see is myself in the mirror. I cannot see him. So this, uh, my big ego, uh, interrupt him. In fact, the rabbi said that uh, this uh, haughtiness, this arrogance, the big inflated ego, is a source of all idolatry. It's probably our, our most important weakness. And modesty, a modesty which is the opposite, uh, that's a good thing because if I am a modest, then I have no inflated ego, then I can see him to the other side. Moses was the modest of, modest of all men, so Moses was able to look, to look up to the mirror and see to the other side. So that mirror, a shiny mirror, the rabbi talked to it as a speklaria. Speklaria, as you can guess, it's a Greek word, a speklaria, shining speklaria. So Moses, you can find it many times in the Midrash, in the Talmud. Moses was looking through the shining mirror, the shining speklaria. And he, because he could, he could, only he could see Hashem straight. As the, as the verse says, the verse actually says, the Torah says, he uh, see me face to face. I talked to, Hashem talked to, to Moses face to face. Which means the mirror did not interrupt. Why? Because as a, as a, as a modest person, the Moses, when look at him, uh, there was nothing to intersect. Moses has no personal agenda. He was beyond anything personally. He gave himself to the task for the sake of, the, of Israel, for the sake of Hashem, without any agenda of himself. He's buried, nobody even knows where he's buried. He has nothing, nothing personally. So that's why, was able, that's why he saw the truth. All the others, all the others, uh, even, even, even Isaiah, even Jeremiah, even Amos, they were never and that level of Moses seeing completely to the other side. 
but of course they were higher than us because they were they they they, they could see somehow to this to the other side. So inflated eye is the most prevalent form of idolatry. Haughty person worship himself. The haughty person see only himself in the mirror. The haughty person cannot see Hashem on the other side. And Moses, the modest of all people, saw, was able to see the other side of the mirror. False prophets see only themselves in the mirror. That's a point. You know, people, a, fall, a person can wake up in the morning with a, uh, crying from happiness. He heard so many voices talking to him at night. He has a message to say, come to the TV and he speak to the crowd and uh, hallelujah and, and he is a big, he is big orator and he is himself sure. He sure he heard voices, he sure he heard things talking to him, he had vision, he could see. Only thing he doesn't know that what he was seeing and hearing was his own own thought being reflected to him at him from the mirror. Why? The test is how hot he is, how arrogant he is, and we'll see in a minute what's the what's the criteria. How can you detect a person who is haughty? Because it's not so not so easy. They all seems to be so pious, so 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 nice. They speak so so beautifully. So how do how can you detect who is really haughty and who is a false prophet or not? I'll tell you in a minute how the, what the Torah tells us. Now also uh, there I put here uh, a, a saying from the Talmud. That's actually for the Midrash on, on Genesis. There, and he says, the rabbi says, the haughty person in Hashem can't dwell in the same room. Of course, as if when a person is such a big inflated eye, uh, he pushes, he pushes uh, Hashem away from him. He occupies the entire room, and Hashem has simply no room to be with him. That's again uh, looking at the mirror. You, you push the mirror up, and Hashem actually ran away from you. Now, what? Let's go on now and see what is the antidote for 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 uh, for uh, arrogance. And of course, it's modesty. But how? How? How can we define the modesty? We said Moses was mo- modest, but what does it mean? How, how can, what kind of modest person, uh, what is modesty? How can a person uh, uh, exhibit modesty? Uh, do we want him to wear shabby clothes? Is a person who, 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 who wears shabby clothes and doesn't wash himself? Is that modest? Or does he live in a cave, in a mountain, don't speak to anybody? shy away from society. That's what modest, actually, that's what other, uh, what many traditional religion on earth preach. Go to the monastery. Go to the Himalaya mountain and sit there and you will be a holy man. Modest man. You don't need anything. You sit there, you don't move. Is that what the Torah wants us to do, modesty? Do we need the molded the bread? Uh, do do we need to lie on air on the ground and let people trot over our head? Is that modesty? We have no ego. 
We let people chortle, they spit on us, curse on us. Do we need to, to kiss the bare feet of uh, poor people in front of clicking camera? Is that uh, in the basilica, that's what modesty is? To kiss uh, the bare foot of poor people? Or do we need to, in order to show that we are modest, do we need to leave our home and go to the crossroad there in a, in a country and collect some, some maturity? Then we will know that we are modest. So what? What is the Torah want us? Uh, what is the real modesty in the eyes of the Torah? Uh, to counteract, remember, we want to counteract the ego, the inflated ego, to, to, to control it. So the Torah wants to teach us. In fact, as it turns out, the Torah regard the, as you can realize now, the Torah haughtiness and arrogance in the eyes of Torah is so, uh, is such a big uh, f uh, uh, blemish in a person's character that the Torah wants to teach us modesty right when we were born. Uh, and uh, uh, when, when Hashem says, let us make man in our form, in our image, in that, just so when he created us, actually as Rashi brings the story, that's where he, he, he wants us to teach modesty. Why? What happened? And here is a story that Rashi brings. So the Rashi says, and this is a very famous story, which teaches us, going to teach us what modesty is. So when, when Hashem wanted to, to, to create Adam, he, he called all the angels. And he says, my angels, uh, let us make Adam in our image and our form. Which means, what do you think about it? So uh, the first angel is a midrash uh, I just bought bought in here. The uh, uh, angel Raphael, Raphael says, "Don't don't bring, don't make Adam, because he will bring uh, so much misery and spread diseases in the world." Raphael means actually uh, healer. Healer in Hebrew, he, Raphael is healer. Uh, so he was afraid that men will spread so much disease. He says, don't, 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 don't make Adam. Uh, and the other angel Gabriel says, no, don't make him. He will make, he will make so many wars. Why did Gabriel uh, worry about wars? Because Gabriel means uh, he's, a, he's an angel that holds the, might, the, the mighty sword of Hashem. So he was worried about Adam will create, kill so many people and may wage war. Don't make him. And another, another angel, angel of truth, uh, Uriel, who sit on, on top of the crown there. Uh, he says, don't make him because Adam will lie. He say he won't even never say the truth. He will not be no shame. And I just here I'm just quoting the midrash. And they went on and on. Even Michael, uh, I think only the, only the angel Michael uh, said, okay, uh, he agreed that Hashem will make us because he says, at, at, least, at least Adam will pray for you. Pray to you. Michael is Michael, 
is uh, who, who is great like you, who is great like you, Elohim. That's what Ma Michael means. So Michael says, uh, yeah, you can make him because uh, he's going to pray for you. He will be in such so much trouble, so he will need to pray. So they spoke and argued, but then after Isaac continued to argue and, and back and forth, Elohim turned to them, to the angel, and said, well, my angel, I appreciate your advice, but I'm already made in, in my mind. So the angel were appalled, and they asked him now in turn, they say, wow, in that case, if you already made, it, made him in your mind, so why bother consulting us at all? And, and, and uh, moreover, we, after all, we are your, 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 your angel, your messenger. We have no idea of our own, so why to consult us at all? So they wonder, why do you consult with us? We have no opinion for our own, and you are, you are the king, you can do whatever you want. So why do you ask us our opinion? So here comes the most profound answer that Rashi brings there in, in Genesis uh, uh, 1. He says, I consulted you, my angel nevertheless, to teach Adam modesty. I wish to show Adam how to rule over, uh, uh, over, the, over the earth. I want to show him that the superior will always consult inferior. So the, I want to show him the art of, of, of the rule with consultation, modesty. So here we have suddenly the best definition of modesty that you can ever find. It's a constructive modesty. What is mo this modesty? A modest person is the one who listens and respect others. A modest person who is a, is a person who has a self and I that recognize the I of others. It seems so simple now, but you know, this, no, no other religion say that. You know, we don't need to go to a cave or to rush away. That's not modesty. In fact, that's very arrogant. I don't need to kiss the, the foot of the, of the poor people. That doesn't show that I'm in front of a camera and later on sit on a gold, or golden throne. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm modest. Modest means I recognize, listen and recognize the other, uh, the opinion of other. I consult. The very fact that the tyrant, remember Lokim ruled the world for six days, as a tyrant, and then suddenly turned around and he said, let us make many consulted. So he became a modest king instead of a tyrant. So that modesty, that's what he wanted to teach us. So a modest person is a, is a person who consults others. Now, let's go back to give you an example of where it plays. Uh, I read it in Rashi. Uh, on the very first, you know, let's go back to the Noah and the heavenly court decision. You know, remember the first time the word I appears in the Torah is in connection to Noah, to before the flood. And he says there, and I willingly shall, or I myself, actually should be, 
in, in, in Hebrew, I had a difficulty to translate it in English. I willingly, or I myself, shall bring the flood on earth. I said willingly because there is a will above the eye. We talked about it. There is a subconscious will that control my eye decision. So that's why I said willingly. But, but let's focus on the word. And I end I willingly. So the rabbi said, what do you mean end I? Who is there? Is there another, another entity beside the self, the essence? Who is there that, that made the verdict to bring the flood? It was enough to say, I willingly shall bring the flood. What is end I? So who was there? And the answer that Rashi bring, the answer is that those angels, the objective, the objective of the making of Adam, those Raphael, Michael, uh, Uriel, Gabriel, all these angels that at first objected to the making of Adam because of he's going to destroy the world, they now, uh, their voice was heard in the heavenly court. And here, here is the, uh, uh, here is the, uh, you see how all are interconnected, it's the same story. The I, the self, he wanted to teach us modesty, and if we are arrogant, uh, if we are arrogant, uh, we will, uh, we will lose the, we will, we will not commit, we will commit uh, idolatry, and we will lose the world. In fact, I want to remind you that uh, the, the sin of the flood were com very complex. Remember we talked about the sin of the flood that uh, uh, were the Enosh party that uh, uh, worship and mercy, uh, forgetting about the law. And they committed heinous, heinous crimes. And then uh, the other party that worship Elohim without uh, only the law uh, with very harsh way they cut the, the legs or the thieves they, they, they really practice tooth for tooth eye for an eye without mercy so these two were very evil this is the, the famous Azra and Uziel the children of Elohim who, who, who took finally committed adultery and they took all the women there so we know these big parties uh, but we, we uh, want to remind you that everything started with arrogance. Uh, the Talmud said that before, before Enosh and before, before the children of Cain did whatever they did, uh, the, 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 the Enosh, the, the, the North generation had abundance of food. And so much abundance of food that they became arrogant. For instance, they, uh, they, 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 they plow, they planted, they planted the, the corpse, they planted the corpse, but they never bothered gathering it uh, with arrogance. And uh, they build, start building home, they never finish it they didn't, because of arrogance. And when Hashem says, why, they never failed, they never address Hashem to any, with any prayer. And Hashem wonder why why don't you call me? Why don't you address me with any request or prayer? So we lack nothing. We have so much water, so we don't need you. So that kind of arrogance, uh, Rashi, uh, the Talmud says, 
that actually brought down uh, the flood. In fact, that's why the eye made the final decision. So those stories come along around this eye, the, the verdict. So, so the inflated eye, the inflated ego, um, uh, inflated ego uh, was actually the carpet of, of uh, that brought down the North generation. Now, interestingly, uh, and let's go back to our question. Remember, we talk about arrogant people that worship themselves and the, and the false prophet that they wake up in the morning and they have seen all kind of vision and messages and are about to deliver a fiery speech and they are sure that they have revelation of the night. Now how, the Talmud asks, how can you detect such a haughty, arrogant person or a leader actually? A leader or a priest or, 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 or even a rabbi, God forbid, uh, a person who is a leader in position of leadership, and and how do you how do you know that he he will uh, he, he, this this guy is empty-headed, arrogant. He's a false prophet. How do you know? So the answer is very profound. They say like this. Uh, this is a free translation of mine. He says, whoever is Oti, the rabbi says. They from heaven means they make him stumble over a married woman. By the way, it's the same to his woman to to wife. The gender is is it just because this way is more common. Let's repeat it. Whoever is Oti, they meaning they from heaven make him stumble over a married woman to show everybody that he's empty-headed. Think about that statement. See, think about what, what you know from the TV preachers and all these people. And finally, they capture, they admit, having this, this strange, filthy thing that it's totally unnecessary. But from heaven, they, they haven't made them stumble over, over such a prostitute or, 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 or a married woman to show the empty-headedness. Which means actually if we go down the list of our of, of our, uh, of our uh, uh, commandment, so you know a person who worship himself actually commit uh, idolatry. He, he make himself an idol. Worship me, listen to me, give me your money. But from that, because of that, they, they make him slide over adultery, which is number two. Be sure that if you continue with that, that's easy to do. And that's very enticing to do to a person who is controlled in charge of the mass. People fall uh, to his leg, women, men, they all love him, they fall, he can do anything he wants. So adultery will follow surely search. A second, no time. There's a day and day and night and night. He will slide it that route. From here on, you can bet that uh, around the corner is waiting for him some bloodshed because there are husbands, jealous husbands around there, and who knows what waiting for him. 
and he is coveting uh, uh, that and that woman. We we heard such stories. And if he, now if he has already violated the person's wife and he doesn't care about the person's life, why should he care about the person's monetary possession? And of course, theft is a, is a big thing. After that, he will slide uh, that route, followed by injustice number five and blasphemy. Because blasphemy comes here because if you live in such society, if everybody around you does the same thing, if your preacher does that, well, you will curse Hashem. All that will, will bring you to curse Hashem, to curse the God, to abandon society, to abandon the religion. Now, I put here for you, modesty is not so easy to find. Uh, there were three people, only three people in the Torah that were called modest. Is uh, uh, Moses, Abraham, and David. In Hebrew, it's bit difficult. It's easy to to remember because Mem Aleph Dalid, Moses, Moshe, um, Abraham, Aleph, and David. Why Moses? Was well, we just said, Moses was uh, really modest. He has, uh, but 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 modest. But modesty in Moses was not lying on the floor and letting let people trot over his head. When people, uh, when the, when there was a rebellion against him, against the Torah leadership, he took steps. He got his honor very much so. So, so uh, uh, true modesty. It doesn't mean that the person is lying on the floor and let let the fool. Uh, trot on his head. That's not modesty. That's foolishness. Uh, a, a, a real prophet, a leader, a real leader, God is the order. Nothing to do. It doesn't mean that he is arrogant. He keeps. He knows the, the value of his position. He knows the value of his self, I. And he will not let anybody just trot on him. So the so that kind of a constructive. Modesty is not running to the cave, running from society, but on the contrary, is a leader of society. That's Moses. It's called it was modest of all persons. Now Abraham is also considered a epitome of modesty because Abraham, when Hashem said, "Well, Abraham, I'm going to give you everything you want," or in fact, when he when he stood and he prayed for uh, that verse. I am but dirt and ashes come when he prayed for Solomon Gomorrah. So here he comes and pray and, and ask Hashem to turn uh, roughness to mercy to change the heavenly court. Abraham did what Noah did. But he said, I am, I am, how can I dare even ask you there? I am, I am but a dirt and ashes. And he really thought himself as a, as a worthless, but you know, at the same time, he, he lived uh, as a chieftain, and uh, he was not, uh, he didn't let anybody trot on his head. So his, his modesty of Abraham is when he approached Hashem, and in prayer. At the same time, he, is not, he doesn't have inflated ego. In fact, on the contrary, he accepts whatever Hashem would, would do with him. And David. 
David is also considered a modest person, I think it's sound there. Um, uh, what happened? Uh, there's the story about David among other stories. David says, but I'm a worm, not a man. This was in Psalm. Now, when he, when he said that, when he brought the ark to Jerusalem, and if you remember the story, he was dancing and uh, leaping before Hashem uh, ark, as, uh, as uh, before, uh, as Bible says, as if he was a, an empty-headed fellow. In fact, his wife, Michal, the daughter of, the daughter of King Saul, saw him dancing there and she thought that he is, it is not appropriate for the king of Israel to do that. He looked like an empty-headed fellow who should be despised uh, by his own servant. That was the language there, somewhere. So he was, before shame, he, he had no honor. He was immodest. He, he, he threw away his own dignity. So these three people were modest, but this modesty is not wanting to sit in a cave or ask for charity and kissing a foot of a poor people. But this modesty is first of all listening to what other people wanted. King David uh, was a very, very good in listening to other people. He was not a tyrant by no shot, and uh, Abraham was certainly a person who, who was not a tyrant. And, and Moses, uh, there was not even iota of, of tyranny in, in Moses. So this is what we, uh, uh, what I want to share with you today about the 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 uh, the self. Uh, our ego is a is an idol, and how to overcome it with modesty. And modesty is to recognize other eye. So if you go back now, I want to sum up now before we finish. Our class is about idolatry, and we said the the root of idolatry comes from the verse uh, of of when Hashem says, "Let us make man." In our, in our form, in our image, he consulted. He consulted every 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 entity that he consulted is a idolatry trap. So he consulted with Hashem, and Hashem can be a idolatry trap. Hashem himself, it's funny to say that, but Enosh demonstrated mercy can be a idolatry trap. Very attractive idolatry trait. Then we learn he, he turned he turn around and he consulted creation, the sixth day of creation and make man. Uh, creation can be an idol because people can think that uh, Hashem need creation to make us. So creation has a force. This is very common. And we, we will see there are other entities like uh, the passions, he consulted passion, he consulted wisdom, he consulted science. All these entities uh, he consulted and made us layer by layer. But at the same time, each, each consultation made, the, made the, uh, 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 that entity uh, very glamorous. So we are attracted to it. So here we are attracted, he, he, he looked at his self and he made us. 
So we are attracted in, by this, he made the self very attractive idol. Because it was part of the consultation. Anything that was part of the consultation is a potential idol. And again, we are not talking about idol, transit idol of wood and stone, but idol that will remain with us forever. We will never get out of this idol, risk of idol worshipping. Those are internal, eternal idols that will confront the rest of our life. All right, let me pause here uh, and, and let me ask, let you ask me a question, maybe opportunity for a few minutes. Do you have any questions for me? Any question? None here, okay. At least you hear me. Somebody answer. Okay. Um, so what we are going to continue our saga, our story of idol worshipping. I think, and after we finish idolatry, number one, I want to switch to the second commandment uh, with God's help, uh, which is bless, uh, uh, adultery. Adultery is a story of Eden. We'll, we learn already a story of Eden, but we'll go into it in more detail. This is adultery. And then we'll switch to the story of bloodshed, which is Cain and Abel. We already learn a lot about it, but we need to read it in detail, verse by verse, and learn it in more detail. This is bloodshed. And then we'll learn about about Sodom, about uh, uh, theft, and about uh, Sodom Gomorrah, and about Abraham, and uh, about uh, uh, injustice and in uh, uh, Jacob. And uh, because the chapter, you see, the chapter of Genesis actually move on along the, along the seven commandments. Actually, the story unfold uh, the, each story in the Bible in the book of Genesis actually unfolds or highlight a, a certain commandment actually as if it's program from from idolatry to adultery to bloodshed to to theft to to injustice to blasphemy as if as if the story of, of Genesis is program Along, along this line of, of seven commandments. And that's why the Torah wrote it. The Torah is to teach us the seven commandments of Noah. Alright, so when will you be starting the second commandment? Uh, well, uh, let's put it this. Um, I think we all, we can actually Uh, I think about maybe we'll put the two the 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 two I need to discuss one or two consultation maybe one class passion and desires and the science we need to discuss that as an idol and once we have done that 
you know, we already discussed some items there, and then probably within, uh, with God's help, with another class or two, uh, we will uh, continue Okay, thank you so much for saying that. So after that, we will continue with the story of uh, of uh, Eden, with number two, with a with a, with a commandment number two, and then Cain and Abel, commandment number three. All right, you have a nice week, and uh, good night, and we'll see you uh, next week. Thank you so much. Have a good week.